0: Exodus 4 in its entirety. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, O my Lord, please send someone else. And take the staff in your hand, this this staff with which you shall do the signs.
1: Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses and Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife, and his sons, and had them ride on a donkey, and went back to the land of Egypt. (coughs) And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart, so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, Let my son go, that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. At the lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are the bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. It was then that she said, a bridegroom of blood, because of the circumcision. The Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had been sent to him to speak, and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel, Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people, and the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped.
2: double-checked this week and I made sure I had the correct version of my notes on my iPad. If you were here last week or watching last week, you know we had multiple technical glitches, um, including the fact that I had the wrong version of my sermon notes on my iPad. And it was interesting because I was reflecting on that and last week was a hard week. Last Sunday was a hard Sunday because we had a death in our church family and we were talking about that and the sorrow and the grief. And in looking back and going, why? Why on on a Sunday like this are we having all these glitches and and all of this going wrong? And I I realized in looking back how it was such God's mercy to us. Because in laughing about the glitches, how it kind of let us kind of recenter and calm down and take some of the tension out of the room as we talked about it. But friends, we are still in grieving. And I want to remind you that this Friday at 2 p.m. right here, we will be having a memorial service for Dorothy McKay. We hope that you're able to join us as we come together, as we grieve together, as we comfort one another in our grief. So again, that will be this Friday at 2 p.m. But for this morning, we're looking at Exodus chapter 4, and I want to talk about Law and Order. I don't know about you, but, but I used to really like that TV show, Law and Order. You know, there were like 15 different incarnations. You know, it was like Law and Order, Law and Order, Criminal Intent. Law and Order Special Victims, like Law and Order, you know, Camden, Maine. That was a really boring one. But they were all the same, and you followed the crime from the crime into the courtroom. And I used to love watching the courtroom, and my friends who were lawyers, including my younger sister who's a lawyer, told me, you know, the, the courtroom doesn't actually go like that. Law doesn't look that exciting. But my favorite part was always when they'd be in the courtroom and, and somebody would try to do something or say something, admit bit some evidence, and the other lawyer stands up, I object! I object! And I'm not giving you guys any ideas for the church business meeting on Thursday. But that was always my favorite part of watching those courtroom scenes. When there would be some kind of drama, I object! And, and an objection could be to some evidence or some testimony or, or something that they didn't want allowed into evidence. But then the judge could rule and he could admit into evidence. Or, I mean, he might say objection overruled and admit that into evidence. So you could object all you wanted. But sometimes the judge would respond by saying objection overruled. Objection overruled. This is admissible. This is going to happen. And, And this scene with the Lord and Moses. The entire thing is like a courtroom scene, and we have Moses standing up repeatedly going, I object! I object! And the Lord's saying, Objection overruled! Objection overruled! Objection overruled, time and time again. Now, Moses isn't objecting to the admission of evidence. He's objecting to God's plan to deliver Israel from slavery in Egypt. And as we look at Moses' and his objections and as we look at the Lord and his overruling, what do we learn about the Lord from this interaction? And as we listen to Moses' objections, what do we learn about ourselves and our own objections to the Lord and to his plans? And, and how ultimately are God's answers to Moses answers to us and our objections? Now, to consider all of Moses' objections, we do have to kind of rewind a little bit and look at Exodus chapter 3 a little bit, which we studied two weeks ago. You know, two weeks ago, we opened in Exodus chapter 3, and you might remember that Moses was there on the mount, on Mount Horeb, tending his father-in-law's sheep, when in chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, Moses turned aside to check out a bush that was burning but not being consumed. So the elders and I, we were talking about this passage And and Patrick asked a really good question. He said, it notes that Moses turned aside. What if Moses hadn't turned aside? And I said, well, I think probably the Lord would have just lit the next bush on fire. And then the next. And then the next until he finally got Moses' attention. Because, friends, there wasn't anything special about that particular bush. There wasn't anything special about that particular plot of ground. What made them both special? was God's presence. Because Moses turns aside and immediately you hear God say to him, He says, take off your sandals because the ground you're standing on is holy. Again, friends, the bush and the ground themselves were not holy. What made them holy was the presence of God. And friends, that was the lesson that Moses needed to learn. It wasn't about him. It was about the presence of God with him. It wasn't about the bush or the land. It was about the presence of God in the bush and on the land. That was what made the difference. Because when we hear Moses' first objection, we hear the Lord speaking into this very issue. Moses' first rejection or objection actually came in chapter 3, verse 11. Moses says, I object, who am I, that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? I'm not worthy. I'm nothing special. Who am I? And God wanted to show Moses and friends, He wants to show you and me, that it's not about who I am, it's about who He is. It's not about who I am, it's about who He is. The bush wasn't special, the ground wasn't special, and Moses, no, you're not special necessarily either. What's special is that I am with you. Do you notice... His overruling Moses' objection in verse 12. His response is, but I will be with you. He said, but I will be with you. So Moses, no, the bush, the ground, and you yourself, you may not be anything special, but I will be with you. And that is what makes the difference. And friends, how many times do you and I object the same way Moses did? Oh no, who am I? Who am I to speak? Who am I to try? Who am I to go? Who am I to stand? Friends, you and I may not be anything, but it's not about you. It's not about me. God says, I will be with you. You know, there's a great scene in the life of the early church. And so, Peter and John had have, have just been dragged before the religious authorities because they were boldly speaking the name of Jesus and they refused to back down. And Acts chapter 4, verse 13 records, Now when the authorities saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished and they recognized they had been with Jesus. Friends, Peter and John were uneducated, common people like you and like me. The difference was they had been with Jesus. As the Lord said to Moses, I will be with you. Friends, it is not about who I am. It is about who he is and his presence with us. And so the Lord offers Moses his presence. He goes, I will be with you. And more than that, he offers Moses his promise. Look again at Exodus chapter 3, verse 12. He says, but I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So God offers not just his presence with Moses, but his promise to him. And friends, God's promises are not like your promises or my promises. When God makes a promise, it is certain, it is sure, it will come to pass. As Numbers chapter 23, verse 19 declares God is not a man that he should lie. Or a son of man that he should change his mind? Has he said and he will not do it? Or has he spoken and he will not fulfill it? Those questions expect a no answer because, friends, if he says it, he will do it. If he speaks it, he will fulfill it. God doesn't lie. He doesn't change. He can't deny what he's already spoken. And he never, ever fails to fulfill his promises. God's promises are not like our promises. promises. Our promises are uncertain, and sometimes our promises are really just wishful thinking or empty intentions. But God's promises, they're a guarantee. And so the Lord says to Moses, No, I will be with you, and when you come out, you will serve me on this mountain. So Moses says, I object, Lord. Who am I? And the Lord says, Objection overruled. And He offers His presence and His promise. And church, has Jesus offered us any less? Has He offered us any less? You might remember the final words they spoke to His disciples as they they stood on the mountain before He ascended to God the Father. Matthew 28, He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given Me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The Lord says, Moses, go, I will be with you. Jesus says to his church today, go, I will be with you. God has promised his presence and his promises are sure and certain. So, friends, which of our objections to going, to speaking, to standing are going to last? But Moses isn't done with his objections because we wouldn't be either. We look in verse 13. No sooner has the Lord overruled Moses' first objection, he offers another one. Verse 13, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Friends, in other words, I don't know enough. Don't don't send me. I don't know enough. Have you ever said that? Ever been tempted to say that? Don't send me. I don't know about enough. How often have you and I used that very same excuse? God can't use me because I can't answer every objection. I don't know enough. I'm not smart enough. I need to study more. I'm just not ready. And so we sit on the sidelines while God uses other people to do the work. Moses says, I don't know enough. I object. And the Lord responds, objection overruled. And the Lord reveals to Moses His person and His plan. He reveals to Moses His person and His plan. As we discussed two weeks ago when we looked at Exodus 3, The Lord reveals this person in verse 14. Verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And He said, Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent Me to you. See, when God speaks of Himself, He calls Himself I am. And when He teaches Israel to speak of Him, we're to say He is, or in Hebrew, the word is Yahweh. He is. God is. And the Lord will later on say to Moses in in Exodus chapter 6, verses 2 through 4, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. So the Lord reveals to the Lord... uh, The Lord reveals to Moses His name, the Lord Yahweh. I am. I am the very God of your forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I hadn't revealed my name to them, but I'm revealing my name to you. I'm the same God. The same God that called Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The same God that made a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And thus with you, I'm that God. That's who I am. And when you go there, and they say, Who sent you? You say, the God of our forefathers, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, He's revealed Himself. He is. He is. And two weeks ago, we talked about all that's in that name, that He is. He is the self-defining, self-existing, all-powerful God. He is. And all that's in that name. And we talked about that two weeks ago. So, He says, this is My person. This is who I am. And then he lays out in verses 16-22 through in detail his plan. So he says, here's who I am, and here's my plan. Objection overruled, Moses. You're still going. You're still going. And church, has the Lord given us any less in Jesus Christ? Has He given us any less today? Because in the person of Jesus Christ, He has revealed to us Himself. John declares in the beginning of his Gospel, John chapter 1, verse 18, he says, No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. God revealed Himself to us in Jesus. He has made known who God is. And so who is the, who is the person of God? What is God like? Jesus reveals God to us, for He is God. And more than that, Jesus is the plan of God. So what's the person and what's the plan? Jesus is not only revealing the person of God, He reveals the plan of God. The Apostle Paul wrote for us in Ephesians chapter 1. He said, In Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan, a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. So friends, the Lord's plan has always been to unite all things in Christ. In Jesus, we have redemption through His blood. In Jesus, we have forgiveness of our trespasses and sins. In Jesus, we have God's grace lavished upon us. Jesus is and reveals the plan of God to us. Jesus is and reveals the person of God to us. So, church, if you know Jesus, you know enough. If you know Jesus, you know enough. Because Jesus is all you need. Objection overruled. You're still called to God. But Moses isn't done. And we get to today's passage. Look at the beginning. The very first verse that was read for us by Ashland. But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. For they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. In other words, I object because I don't want to be rejected. I object because they're going to reject me. They're going to think I'm crazy. They're going to say, ooh, he's one of those people. They're going to ridicule me. They're going to reject me. They're going to say I'm on the wrong side of the Nile and on the wrong side of history. And I don't want to be rejected. And friends, fear of humanity is always a snare to us. Fear of people will always be a snare. But there's another fear that also threatens to control Moses. Not just the fear of people, but the fear of inadequacy. Because there's a fourth objection in this same passage. Just look down at verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I'm not eloquent, either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and of tongue. In other words, I can't do it. I can't do it. So Moses fears being inadequate. Moses, like us, is being controlled by his fears, isn't he? He fears humanity. He fears inadequacy. He fears rejection. He fears imperfection. I object. I don't want to be rejected. And I just can't do it. But notice twice, the Lord says, objection overruled. And He overrules both of them on the same ground. His power. He says, yeah, I'm going to give you power, Moses. It's not about you. It's about my power in you and through you. Uh, again, in verses 2 through 9, the Lord offers Moses powerful signs. And again, I'm, I know I was talking to Kevin and glad it was a snake and not a spider because Kevin would have run too. So, and just kept running. He never would have turned back into a staff. But he offers powerful signs in verses 2 through 9. And in verse 8, he says, If they won't believe you, Moses, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. He goes, here's powerful signs. Here's my power so that you can give these signs so that people will know that you're speaking for me. And then the Lord promises Moses powerful words as well. Look at verses 11 and 12. The Lord said to Moses, Who made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore, go. I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. See, so the Lord answers Moses' objections by saying, go and speak and let me and my power do the convincing. You go and speak and let my power do the convincing. Friends, it will not be the power of Moses' presentation that convinces Pharaoh. It will not be the power of Moses' words that change Pharaoh's heart and his mind. It is not his power. It's not Moses' power. It's the power of the Lord. Moses just needs to go. He needs to speak. And he needs to leave the power and the action to the Lord. Moses, you go and speak and trust my power. And friends, that's exactly the same thing that Jesus commanded to those who follow him today. Before he sent out his disciples, his followers, he said to them in Mark chapter three, verse 11, when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, don't be anxious beforehand what you're to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. You go speak and trust the Lord's power. Church. How do we, how do you, how do I give in to fear? We fear rejection. We fear imperfection. We fear humanity. We fear inadequacy. Or church, will we learn to trust His power? The power of His Spirit that is at work within each one who has trusted Jesus Christ. As we saw when we studied 2 Timothy just a couple months ago, 2 Timothy one seven, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Church, the powerful spirit of God is within. Who shall we fear? Who shall we fear? You think he's done, but he's not. Our friend Moses has one more objection up his sleeve. And this by far is the most honest, really, of all of his objections. Look at verse 13. But Moses said, Oh my Lord, please send someone else. In other words, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I object because I just don't want to in church. This isn't just Moses' greatest problem. This is our greatest problem as well. We do not want to go. We do not want to obey. We do not want to forgive. We do not want to love. Church, our greatest foe is not out there. Our greatest foe is in here. It's our faithless, unwilling hearts which object to all the Lord wants to do in us and do through us. But church, hear the good news. God perseveres with us. He perseveres with Moses and he perseveres with us. Despite Moses' faithless heart, the Lord perseveres with him and offers the support of his brother Aaron. And despite our faithless hearts, the Lord perseveres in loving and working with us. You know, again, some of you might remember from our study of 2 Timothy a couple months ago, Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Friends, the Lord remains faithful even when we're faithless. Even when our hearts falter, His heart for us perseveres. Friends, this is the Gospel. This is the good news. It's God's perseverance and His patience with us. That God remains faithful to us. He overrules the objection of Moses' stubborn heart by the force of his equally stubborn love. And his love is more stubborn and perseverant than the stubbornness of our hearts. Church, Jesus' love perseveres. When we try to to run, He runs faster. When we try to hide, He seeks us. And when we try to object, He overrules our objections. The Lord's love for Moses and His people persevered, and the Lord's love for us in Jesus Christ perseveres. Friends, will you let your stubborn, unwilling heart today Be overruled by His love. By His love for you and for this world. Will you yield yourself to His persevering, enduring love? You know, although it's graduation season now, and you're going to hear a hundred times if you haven't already, follow your heart. Friends, that's horrible news. Don't follow your heart. May your hearts follow Him. May your hearts follow Him. See, five times Moses cries out, I object. Who am I to go? I don't know enough. I don't want to be rejected. I can't do it. I don't want to do it. And five times the Lord responds, Objection overruled. He reveals to Moses His presence, His promise, His person, His plan, His power, and His perseverance. The Lord told Moses, Go! Go! And he explains to Moses just what's at stake here. Again, look at chapter 4, verses 22-23. through 23. You shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. And if you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. Friends, this is the gospel, the good news. Israel has been in slavery now for 400 years. He's been, well, they've been in Egypt for 400 years, and much of it has been in bitter slavery. But the Lord calls Israel his firstborn son. Israel, you may have been in Egypt and in slavery for 400 years, but your identity is not slave, but son. You will not be defined and determined by your circumstance, but by my covenant with you. Israel's identity is not what Pharaoh told them they were, is not what the people of Egypt told them they were. Their identity is what God told them they were. And because of the Lord's covenant love and the coming deliverance, he says, my people are not and they will not remain as slaves, for they are sons, and daughters. Friends, this is the Gospel. You are not defined by your circumstances. You are not defined by your slavery to sin or to struggle or to addiction. You are not defined by what the powerful or the popular or the people say about you. You, because of God's great love, are defined by what the Lord says about you. And because of the deliverance of Jesus Christ, and the new covenant in His blood, you and I might be called son and daughter. It says the Apostle Paul celebrated in Galatians 4-7, You are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. The Lord was sending Moses to deliver His people from slavery, and Jesus Christ has come to deliver us from slavery. No longer slaves, but sons and daughters. So, friends, church, who are you? Who will you allow to define you? Now, before we wrap up, I can't avoid addressing that strange little occurrence that happened along the road. Because you're going to walk out of here and go, I noticed you didn't touch that one. Because here we have Moses. And his wife Zipporah and his son or sons with him on the road. And they're going back to Egypt. And the Lord meets him. It says the Lord's angry about to kill someone. And there's a circumcision right there on the road. One commentator wrote, if you were to make a short list of the strangest paragraphs in the Bible, Exodus 4, 24-26 would only, almost certainly be on it. We come to a passage like this, church, and we remember that all of Scripture is equally inspired and true, but not all of Scripture is equally clear and easy to understand. And this is one of those passages. Now, the original Hebrew of the text itself is unclear. For example, it says in verse 24, The Lord sought to put someone to death, but we don't know who. Was it Moses or his son? We're not entirely sure who or what Zipporah touched with the foreskin. And in verse 25, the ESV adds the word Moses, but that's not in the Hebrew. So we're left asking, we read this little account and go, why does the Lord's anger wait until this moment? This seems like a bad moment, Lord. Uh, who's God angry with? Why wasn't Moses' son circumcised on the eighth day after his birth like the Lord commanded in Genesis 21? Why? What does Zipporah do with the foreskin and why? And why does Zipporah make her weird declaration about a bridegroom of blood? And you know, some of these questions we're never going to be certain of, but I want us to understand one thing from this strange little incident before we move on from it. What we can be certain of is that if Moses is going to be a fitting mediator and deliverer of God's people, he needs to be obedient in all aspects of the relationship. Now, why didn't he circumcise his son as he should have? Well, it could be a an, the text seems to imply that maybe Zipporah, was from Midian, found circumcision to be disgusting. And so he didn't circumcise his son out of deference for Zipporah. But we just aren't certain. But the point was he needed to because God commanded it. And as one commentator remarked, if Moses was to carry out the divine commission with success, he needs to first prove himself a faithful servant of the Lord in his own house. In other words, he wasn't being obedient privately where no one could see. So how can he lead publicly? You see, friends, God is not just concerned with the actions of a leader publicly. He's concerned with the actions of a leader privately. And Moses was being disobedient privately. Though no one might have seen it or known it, God knew it. And God goes, before you are used to deliver My people, I need to deliver you from your disobedience. It's time for you to square up your house and get things straight before I use you to deliver my people from Egypt. Because, friends, leadership starts at home. Leadership starts with the unseen obedience. Leadership starts in the quiet, unnoticed, and unnoticeable faithfulness to God. So the Lord was preparing Moses privately for his leadership publicly. Because, friends, God is not deceived. He sees what is unseen. And what He most desires is not your and my usefulness. He desires our holiness. The Lord's greatest concern for Moses is not His public leadership, but His personal obedience. So in this little unsettling and uncomfortable episode, what do we see? We see the Lord meeting Moses on the road and preparing him for service. And friends, if the Lord was to meet you on the road... On the way home today, what does he want to deal with you about? Are there areas of disobedience in your heart and your life that aren't seen? Are there things that he wants to do business with you? That you might be ready, ready to be used for him and by him. We find Moses' objections have all been overruled. His disobedience has now been forgiven and things have been made right. And the chapter ends on a high note in verse 31. And the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that He had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. Church, the Gospel, The, the Gospel which we're sent to proclaim is that God has seen our afflictions and He visited His people in the person of Jesus Christ. In the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Lord's offered us deliverance from slavery and fear and death. And because of the work of Jesus, we're no longer slaves but sons. And the property only response is what Israel did. To bow and worship. Friends, how have you responded to the good news of God's deliverance? The gospel of Jesus Christ. How will you respond? And for those of you here who've already believed and who already worship. What objections like Moses are you still hanging on to? What objections like Moses are, are you still making to going and being part of what God wants to do in you and through you, in your family, in your community, in this world? Send someone else. Are, is there disobedience in your life like Moses had disobedience? It's hidden. that it needs to be dealt with. What objections, church, are stopping you from going forth and from living fully in the power of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Church, whatever your objections, objection overruled. Go. Let's pray. Father, thank You. Thank You for the good news, the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And now as we close today, Father, send us out. Overcome our objections. And glorify Your name in and through us, Your people, today. In Jesus' name, Amen.